Welcome to the Great Detectives of Old Time Radio from Boise, Idaho. This is your host, Adam Graham. If you have a comment, email it to me, box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives and become one of our friends on Facebook, facebook.com slash radiodetectives. Our listener support campaign continues. You can support the show on a one-time basis at support.greatdetectives.net. Today, though, we're focusing on our Patreon campaign. You can become one of our Patreon contributors and give a small amount to support the program every month. It's easy, it's inexpensive, and it provides a reliable stream of income to support the show. You can support us at levels ranging from the $2 rookie $4, Seamus, $7.14, Detective Sergeant, $15, Master Detective, and $30, Chief of Detectives. And that's over at patreon.greatdetectives.net. All right, well, now it's time for today's episode of Nightbeat. The original air date on this one, June the 8th, 1951, and this is The Search for Fred. NBC presents Frank Lovejoy in... Randy Stone. I cover the night beat for the Chicago Star. This little jewel, this little beauty, this little sweetheart of a story started on a hot night in June around 7 p.m. I was at my desk trying to convince myself that there was really a good reason to get up and roll down my sleeves, tie my shoelaces, and start walking those steaming sidewalks so that my 400 words could end up next to the girdle ads and the shipping news, arrivals and departures, page 38. Oh, well, it's a living. So dry your tears and think... She had stopped a few feet from my desk, looking at me like I was one of those $60 embalming jobs. A cute little thing in crisp linen and wet cheeks. Can't be that bad, kid. I'm sorry. I just control for yourself. It's so awful. The elevator man said you were the only one around. And that's why you're crying? Oh, Mr. Stone, I just don't know what to do. About what? They called me an hour ago from the city pump about my dog. Your dog? He's dead. Oh, well, that's too bad. But... He died of rabies. Oh? It's been six days. I should have taken him to the veterinarian right away. Oh, it's my fault. Well, those things happen. I, I, I know it's tough well, losing not, a dog. That's but... not it. Five days ago, he bit a man. Well, this man better start the Pasteur treatment post-haste. That's just it. Hmm? Oh, I tell you, since I got that call, I've been going crazy. What am I going to do? Do? I don't know who the man is. Do that over again? It's true. Sit down. What am I going to do? The first thing you're going to do is start talking. Such a nice young fellow. His name, he said his name was Fred. Fred what? I don't know. He passed by my house every day on his way to work. My dog took a liking to him. Yeah. It was five days ago. Last Monday. The dog had been sick, like I said. And Fred came to pet him. The dog bit him on the face. 
I went into the house to get some first aid stuff, but when I came out, Fred was gone. That's the last I saw of him. Yeah, it'd be the last you'd see of me, too. Now, just sit where you are. Uh, get me one of the doctors over at the Board of Health. I'll hang on. What's your name, kiddo? Judy Hartley. I feel terrible. Why, you relax, sir. Everything will be okay. Oh, hello. Say, uh, this is Randy Stone of the Star. A fellow gets bit by a dog uh, five days ago. The dog later dies of rabies. A face. Now, we don't know where he is right now. Yeah, uh, I'm going to do what I can. I will. Thank you. What did he say? He said the death rate from rabies is 100%. Oh. Now, just, just relax. The Pasteur treatment has begun in time. There's no danger. And we've got to find him. Well, there's another little gimmick, kid. When the bite is on the face, you only have about a week at the most to begin treatment. Then? Uh-huh. We've got a couple of days to find this guy. After that, it's too late. Well, that's how it began. 7.35, Thursday night, June 6th. The girl and I went right to police headquarters through streets choked with thousands of listless Chicagoans looking for a small breeze. When I told the lieutenant in charge what had happened, he turned as yellow as calcimine and put in a call for the captain. The captain had been called right in the middle of his son's wedding. When he came down to the station, he was wearing a white tuxedo, a red carnation, and a purple rage. Only after I told him what the score was, the carnation seemed to wilt in his lapel, and he looked a little like the calcimine, too. Rabies. Good Lord. Where do you live, young lady? 3201 Palmer Place. Oh, I feel so guilty about this. Anybody who has a dog doesn't give an anti-rabies shot should feel guilty. I know, I know. I'm sorry, forgive me. Now, you say he walked past your place every day on the way to work. How do you know he was on his way to work? Well, he wore mechanics overalls, and he carried a lunch pail. Uh, undoubtedly worked so lives in that neighborhood. Along with a hundred thousand other people. You're telling me. Radio room. Cross your fingers, man. Hello. I want every squad car in the Logan Square area alerted. I want five special squads. <laughs> I uncrossed my fingers long enough to call in all the newspaper, radio, and television boys. We set up a news pool with me as liaison man because it all started at my little weather-beaten desk. And then the coverage began. With a 9 p.m. break, every radio and television station threw away their jingles and endorsements to announce that anyone bitten by a collie dog five days before should report to Captain Blair of the police at once. The evening edition of the Sun-Times, the Tribune, and the Star carried the same item on the front page. By 10 o'clock, the police switchboards were lit up like Christmas trees by people wanting to help. And by 10.30, the psychos were making their appearance. Oh, yeah. Yes, I'm the one, all right. I did it. Did what, Judy? No, no, yes. Oh, but I am. I confess. I confess. You must believe me. I killed them all. Every one of them. If you want me to, I'll take you to the body. That's sporting of you. Sergeant, will you escort the gentlemen to the bodies? Ten after eleven, still nothing. Judy, the captain, and I swelling it out in his office, avoiding each other's eyes. The captain now with his white tuxedo coat hanging over a chair and his black tie dangling from one ear and trying not to look at the clock. Judy chewing on her knuckles and me making one trip after another to the water cooler in the corner. And the minutes passed. 
And then the phone started ringing again, like it had been ringing all night with one false alarm after another. Hello. Yeah. What? Where? Hey, what is it? Hey, Dirt. Good work, Harris. Be right over. They found you? No, but the next best thing, they found out where he lives. Come on. It was a rambling frame house over on Kedzie Avenue with a tin sign that announced housekeeping rooms newly decorated. Two squad cars were parked in front and a little gathering of citizens hung around wondering what the excitement was all about. A scrawny, hawk-faced landlady led us upstairs to a back bedroom, swinging a wadded newspaper at Maul's and Flock. Well, here we are. As soon as Judy looked into the room, she stiffened with excitement and pointed to the dresser. His lunch pail. He always carried it as his. Sorts of tears. Clothes in the closet are his, too. That whiskey bottle, his. Also, them girly pictures in the mirror. Nothing I hate worse than flies. What's this man's last name? Fred Graves, the name he gave me. Good. Now, do you they have any... They it might hit 103 degrees tomorrow. How do fellas know? Answer me that. Well, that fixes your wagon, Sonny, the dirty little boy. Uh, lady, do you have any idea where we can find Graham now? Other copper asked me that. And what did you tell the other copper? Told him I didn't have the slightest idea where Graham is now. Uh-huh. When's the last time you saw him? Oh, four, five days ago. All them girly pictures, though. I figure he's got a roof over his head. All right. Much obliged, Mother. Now, thank you to watch your language. Anyway, yes, sir. You. Me? Oh, still. Why? Hey. Oh, oh. I think I got away. I hate crying. So, at a few minutes before midnight, we had his name, Fred Graham. And after the cops finished going through his room, we also had his personality. This was a lover boy from way back. Couple dozen love letters that made Chicago's heat wave seem puny by comparison. A large handful of girly pictures, each thoughtfully inscribed. Hair pomades and toilet waters galore and two tins of sensen. Also some paycheck stubs from the A1 Auto Repair Service. Also a postcard from his mom in Cheyenne, Wyoming, hoping he was being a good boy. Good. This guy must have been terrific. By 1.30 a.m., every girl who'd sent a letter had been contacted. No Freddy. The owner of the garage hadn't seen him for five days. All his poor ma in Wyoming could offer were her tears. The one break with the snapshots. He appeared on a few of them. And his likeness was blown up full size and handed around. Two television stations returned to the air to transmit the picture for a solid hour. And the 2 a.m. edition of all the papers tore out every story of disaster and war and hate and carried nothing on the front page but the smiling face of Fred Graham. The radio boys brought a wire recorder to the captain's office and he transcribed the message. This is Police Captain Blair. I am broadcasting this urgent message to Fred Graham. The dog that bit you five days ago has died of rabies. You must have treatment at once or you are doomed. Report to the police or to any doctor in Chicago immediately. And for the rest of that night, the message was broadcast every 15 minutes on all the stations that remained in operation. 
But still nothing happened. And then around 4 a.m., the captain rolled up his sleeves, picked up the phone, and really went to work. I'm sorry I had to get all you good people up, but we need all the help we can, and we need it fast. I want to bring all you people up. The Red Cross people were there, the FBI, the civil defense people, representatives from the mayor, the Board of Health, scout organizations, the Salvation Army. A sweltering room full of people. I spotted Judy in the back of the room looking very pale and drawn. I sat next to her and she sagged against me. The Board of Health doctor tells me that already it might be too late for us to help Fred Graham. That certainly that every hour that passes reduces our chances of reaching him in time. Therefore, I've decided to call the entire city into the hunt. Must find him, the whole city. Judy. She folded up like a rag doll. I carried her outside to the first aid room where a nurse began bringing her around. When I returned to the conference room, I saw Judy's purse on the floor where she dropped it. I picked it up. It sagged suspiciously. I opened it. A gun. When I went back to the first aid room, she was feeling better. That is, until I handed her back the purse. You found the gun. Uh-huh. I want it back. Why? Because it's mine. I have a permit. You'll have to come up with a better reason than that. It doesn't matter. I'll get another gun. It's not a gun. Something else. Now, kid. Don't you I... understand? It's like I killed him. It's just the same. That's nonsense. That's how I feel. And if they don't find him in time, I... I couldn't live either. NBC is bringing you Night Beat, starring Frank Lovejoy as Randy Stone. It's the Silver Jubilee on NBC. I'd like to take just half a minute to alert our listeners for two more top mystery shows heard tonight on NBC. First, straight from the famous Craig Rice novels, hear the amazing Mr. Malone. Then later, hear Herbert Marshall starring as the man called X, who proves that the symbol X stands for adventure in all the distant and dangerous places of the world. Listen for the amazing Mr. Malone and Herbert Marshall as the man called X, later tonight over many of these same NBC stations. And now back to Night Beat and Randy Stone. It had started out as just another hot Chicago night, and now it had disintegrated into a first-class nightmare. An entire city trying to find Fred Graham, who'd been bitten by a rabid dog and who would surely die if he weren't located very soon. Well, I am broadcasting this urgent message to Fred Graham, the dog that bit you five days ago. And all through the long hours of the night, the disc jockeys interrupted old soldiers never die and dabba 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 to play the captain's recorded message. And all that morning on the Wake Up and Shine show, and the television stations and the newspapers playing up the photograph of Fred Graham. But nothing happened. Around 6 a.m., I sent Judy home with a nurse and told the nurse to watch her every minute. And after that, I just hung around the hallway of the central police station, watching the ruby-red sun start a new sizzling day, the last day we'd have to find Graham in time. The captain called me in around 9, a white tuxedo looking like something left over from war circle. All right. All right, so, so you might say he left town without... Picking up his clothes or his paycheck, and, and for no reason, mind you. We've checked on that. He's not wanted for a thing, no? Yeah. 
No creditors or police records, nothing like that. Uh-huh. But for the sake of argument, okay, left town. Now, now look at these newspapers. Detroit News, New York Post, Miami Herald, San Francisco Chronicle. Front page story, every newspaper in the country. But still nothing happened. Where is he, Randy? Where is he? That's a good question. Yes, but with a good answer, I'll fix every traffic ticket you get for life. I'm going batty. Or maybe you need a couple of minutes sleep, huh? Sleep. Oh. Every time I close my eyes, I hear that board of health doctor lecturing us about the way a man dies with rabies. That's, that's not why I called you, Randy. You're the boy handling the press pool for all the papers. Okay, here's the latest plan of action. We're dividing the city into eight sections. Well, the scouts are going to supply us with 2,000 boys to cover the suburbs around Evanston. The civil defense is supplying 10,000 volunteers to handle the north side. The Red Cross is digging up another 5,000. Every... Captain Blair. Yes. What are you making it so hard for a taxpayer to see you for? For an hour now, I've been trying to get in here. I've been pretty busy. What can I do? Robinson's the name. Joe Robinson. It's all over. Ended. Huh? Call off the cops. Everybody relax. Fred Graham's father. What? What are you talking about? Where is he? And those bums outside gave me trouble. Wouldn't let me through. Look, taxpayer Robinson, just tell us where he is. How should I know? How should I know? I mean, not right away. Give me an hour or two. But as soon as I hightail it to the airport and get my little Piper Cub up there in the wild blue yonder... The wild blue yonder? Don't you get it? I'm a skywriter. All day long, I float around writing, Soda Seltzer is the tops. Hour after hour, Soda Seltzer is the tops. You know how many people look up and see that? Only everybody. Okay, so today I tell Soda Seltzer to keep that 20 bucks an hour, and I write, Fred Graham, where are you? With a question mark? Sure, with a question mark. You know how many guys in my racket can make a perfect question mark? Mighty few. As gently as possible, we ease Joe Robinson, the flying taxpayer, out of the place. But in a cockeyed way, he was symbolic of the entire city, ready to give up 20 bucks an hour to help find Fred Graham. Yeah, that's how it was everywhere. That morning in every church, a prayer was said for Fred Graham at early mass. Around every newsstand, a solemn little crowd gathered, shaking their heads and taking it as a personal tragedy. Around the radio shops... This is Police Captain Flair. I am broadcasting this urgent message to Fred... Tens of thousands searching through the city. Even the winos on Skid Row had been organized to search through the flop houses and basements of their area. Since midnight, not a single police officer had gone off duty. But still, Graham was nowhere to be found. Why? Where was it? In a few hours, it really wouldn't matter. Around eight that night, I left the police station where you could have cut the gloom with a butter knife. And through the hot streets where gloom followed at my heels and up to my office at the star where the gloom was waiting for me. Everyone crowding around me wanting to know the latest and when I told them there wasn't any latest, they moved away quietly. These characters who'd covered stories of wars and famines and pestilence where millions had died needlessly. The crazy world. I went over to my desk to try to write the story and then I saw the stack of telephone messages. I thumbed through them quickly... Mostly from people wanting to help. But there were eight of them that said exactly the same thing. Call SU-13689, urgent. Nothing could be very urgent after today. Hello? Uh, This is Randy Stone of the Star. Why didn't you call me 
I've been away from the office on the Graham story. That's what I'm calling about. He wants to talk to you. Oh. Fred Graham. What? You've got to come alone. Look, he needs help. He needs it fast. I know that. Come alone. Uh, what's the address? Alone? Yes, yes. What's the address? 2830 Rogers Avenue, apartment C. I've got it. How does he feel? Terrible. Hurt. I was in the cab on my way over there when I remembered a beat-up little dame who'd wanted to kill herself, namely Judy Hartley. We had to pass within three blocks of her house anyhow, and I figured the extra minute wouldn't make that much difference. I told the cabbie to keep the motor running and rang Judy's bell. Nurse opened the door. I went right past her to where Judy was curled up on the couch, still gnawing on whatever was left of her knuckles. I took her gun out of my pocket and handed it to her. I don't understand. Well, you said you had a permit for it, so I guess but it's I... okay. Besides, she won't have to blow your brains out after all. You don't mean it. Yes, I do mean it. Come on. <laughs> Twenty-eight thirty Rogers Avenue was a punch-drunk apartment building leaning up against the moldy gasworks. But to Judy and me, Buckingham Palace never looked so good. The dark hallways smelled more of cabbages than of kings, and beyond was a flight of stairs lit by a single flickering light bulb that dangled listlessly, willing to let well enough alone. I pressed the button marked C, and we waited. And then upstairs, beyond our sight, a door opened. Mister Stone? Yeah, Graham. That's right. We hurried up the steps. It seemed to me like four million Chicagoans were running up right with us, gasping down my neck. And then it came to me that I was doing all the gasping. And up ahead was another hallway lit by another no-talent bulb. A young man was standing beside an open door. Brother, am I glad to see you. Yeah. No. Oh, no. No. Around, went back into the apartment, slammed the door behind him. I must make a grand first impression. Graham, open up, Graham. Oh, what's wrong with you? Maybe he's already starting to get sick. I read somewhere we're acting like this is one of the first symptoms. Yeah. Oh, break down the door. Break it down. Stand back. Me and my dynamic tension. That's it. That's it. I stepped through the broken door and into the small bedroom. He'd been desperately trying to get out the window, and now he was cowering against the wall like... like a mad dog. Oh. Judy, oh. get on that phone quick. Call Captain Barnes. Had to get an ambulance over here right away. He won't need an ambulance. He'll need a hearse. Why? Oh, now listen to me, sweetheart. I can explain everything. Sweetheart? Hey, Judy. Judy. What are you doing with that gun? Killing a dirty rat. <laughs> Yes, the gun I'd given back to her half an hour before. The first shot shattered the window. The second knocked the head off a pink Cupid doll on the dresser. And the next two did terrible things to the ceiling plaster. The fifth went through a silk lampshade, making the tassels wave back and forth. The last shot was really a dangerous one. It came within three feet of Fred. And after that, the gun just clicked harmlessly several times. And after that, Judy began crying, which is where I came in. And then Fred started crawling over to me. Oh, come on, sweetheart. Don't cry. Please, don't cry. Oh, Freddy. Oh, Freddy. Freddy, I wanted to find you and kill you. 
Me. You wanted to kill him. Graham, where are the dog bites that hurt so much about? Oh, isn't it a fantastic little thing? <laughs> but I do love her. I love her. I love her. Oh, Freddie. <laughs> the next time I get jealous, I want you to turn me over your knee. Uh, uh, wait, uh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait, wait, what is this? Last fight we had. That was a real Lulu, wasn't it? You made me give her back all the letters and pictures, and still she wasn't satisfied. When I heard she bought a gun to kill me, I figured it was time for me to drop out of sight. Oh, uh, uh-huh. So, in order uh, to find you, she came around to me with a story about her dog? She doesn't even have a dog. Scared to death of him. Oh, no, no, this isn't really happening to me. Well, it? gee, I never expected there to be such a fuss about it, Mr. Stone. Oh, no, Randy, it's all a dream. It's a dream. I just Boy, thought yes. that maybe you'd help me find him yourself. Oh, hang on, Randy. Everything's going to be okay. We're <laughs> oh, we just That's why when the captain called all those people in, that's why I fainted. Oh, that's why you fainted. Sarah Bernhardt, you know what you've done to this fair city of four million people in the last 24 hours? I, I guess that was sort of a silly thing to do, wasn't it, Mr. Stone? <laughs> Well, since there were no more bullets in the gun, I couldn't kill her. Or myself, for not checking with the dog pound. But who could doubt a story like that? Tommy, I took a walk through the city where 10,000 Boy Scouts and 8,000 Red Cross workers, the entire civil defense setup, were searching for Fred Graham door to door. The television people, the newspaper people, the radio people. I am broadcasting this urgent message to Fred Graham. Shut up! All those cops working the night through without a moment's sleep. The winos searching the flop houses. Every church offering up prayers. Dismally, I looked up into the sky myself, only to see in the fast-fading dust a skywriter putting a smoky question mark on Fred Graham. Where are you? The whole city. Four million people. What was the caliber of that gun? And then, gradually, I began to realize that maybe all this wasn't such a tragedy after all. Oh, sure, I was in for the rising of my life, but... Just the same, maybe something wonderful had taken place without anybody realizing it. So what if the thing turned out to be a phony? There was nothing phony about the way this town of four million closed ranks and forgot all their petty little problems and went to work. If this was a sample of what would happen if a real test came, well, you know, things were pretty good. When four million people can tear themselves apart trying to save the life of one simple guy without caring how much money he had in the bank or whether he was for Truman or MacArthur or what church he went to, when all he cared about was that one human being was in trouble. Well, by golly, the race of man wasn't so bankrupt after all. Copy, boy. Uh, oh, no, no. Wait a minute, no. Uh, you better get me Captain Blair. I, uh, I just hope he's had his rabies shot. Oh, well.
Breakbeat, starring Frank Lovejoy, is produced and directed by Warren Lewis. Tonight's story was written by Larry Marcus with music by Robert Armbruster. The part of the captain was played by Alan Reed. Others featured were Virginia Gregg as the landlady and Laura, Paul Freeze as Fred, Joyce McCarthy as Judy, and the pilot Homer Welch. Frank Lovejoy can currently be seen co-starring with Joan Crawford and Robert Young in Warner Brothers' Goodbye, My Fancy. Listen next week at this time and every week as Randy Stone searches through the city for the strange stories waiting for him in the darkness. Night Beat came to you from Hollywood. This is Andrea J. Graham, author of the Web Surfer series. Oh, and a man's wife. You're listening to the Great Detectives of Old Time Radio. Welcome back. A bit of a twist here. Um, I wouldn't blame Randy too much for what happened here. While he could have called and checked to make sure that this was on the level, I don't really think he could imagine somebody would make up something like this. And the urgency of the situation meant moving into swift action. I do wonder how quickly a town would be mobilized for something like this today. I guess it does depend on the town. I do know several years back we had a missing boy in the area and people were actually leaving my work to take time to join in the search. I do think that something like this, one reason that you do get people actually to get involved or have that potential is the problem is manageable. It's something that people can actually help out with. And one of the challenge about telling big stories, and even uh, if they arguably need to be told, is as a common person, you take a look at that and say, well, there's nothing I can do about that problem. It's been blown up into such a big proportion, we can't even process how we're going to relate or react to it. This one, this one is simple, and they definitely have that potential to go ahead and help out. All right, well, listener comments and feedback now, and have a comment from Joey regarding the episode Fear. Nice lesson, you should not judge others' actions until you are in their shoes. This is not always easy. And, uh, no, it's, it's not, and I think it's, it's de definitely a challenge for Randy, who's got a very strong sense of right and wrong. And we've heard throughout the course of the series, Randy dealing with some folks who just needed to be called out and confronted. But the ability to do that also has some, uh, drawbacks, so it was good of them to explore those. All right, well, that will actually be all for today. I do want to once again encourage you. Uh, we welcome you as an ongoing supporter of the show, patreon.greatdetectives.net. Uh, whatever level you sign up with, uh, we will go ahead and we will send you uh, a regular uh, letter from me. And there are also uh, various decisions about the show in which I ask Patreon fans first and sometimes just Patreon fans only. So become one of our Patreon supporters, patreon.greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives and become one of our friends on Facebook. 
facebook.com slash radiodetectives. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham, signing off.